So good morning everyone. Uh, it's nice to see you all this morning as we uh, continue in our series on the book of Ephesians and I'll be speaking on the first half of chapter 3 um, which we've titled God's Age Old Mystery Revealed. And as usual uh, while delving into God's word I've discovered some aspects uh, which I found really really interesting and I'd like to share some of these thoughts uh, with you this morning. And also, as usual, after the service, over a cup of uh, coffee or tea, or hot water or, or whatever, uh, please come and discuss what it is that we're learning here. Uh, question these things. Uh, there's always more sharpening to be done. Let me just uh, pray as we begin. Lord Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you, dear Lord, that it's an inspired word. <coughs> we, uh, we do pray this morning that, as Chris said, through your Holy Spirit, that you would, you would speak to each one of us. Lord, we acknowledge that each one of us is learning different things at a different pace sometimes, and you continue to grow us and reveal things. So we ask this morning that um, you would speak to each one of us. Um, that specific thing that uh, you need us to hear that addresses our circumstance. Lord, we ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever had a really important secret or known about someone else's really important secret? And as you think about that, do you notice that the more important that this secret is, the more it perhaps needs to be guarded. And if that secret gets out and becomes common knowledge, then often it does some damage along the way, doesn't it? And it also loses its power as a secret. Well, this mystery here <laughs> that chapter 3 of Ephesians is talking about has none of these characteristics of a secret. Paul begins... The chapter with, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And as Chris uh, rightly said, starting a chapter that says, for this reason, obviously refers to things that have come before. So what's Paul talking about here? You see, this way of reading Paul's letter, or any of the epistles really, um, or speaking to these subjects half a chapter or one chapter at a time it's actually a little bit artificial and I don't know any other way of doing it particularly when we're doing 30 minute sermons um, but it's really really important for us to understand that these are well balanced well composed letters that um, weave important themes and arguments together and they would have been read to a church or a believing community uh, in one sitting, the entire letter in one sitting. Indeed, Paul's arguments are incredibly powerful and strategically uh, built um, arguments, I guess. It's like, like he's building a case as if he was a lawyer because actually that's what Paul was. He had been a student of the law. We also know from the book of Acts that Paul was a tent maker who worked with Aquila and Priscilla and Corinth. Now I haven't looked into what being a tent maker actually means 
and whether making tents involves weaving. Um, but as we follow along in Paul's logic, as he's building a case here, um, as the letter progresses, we can see that he's building on everything that he said before and weaving together really important themes. So in chapter 1, for example, Paul has raised spiritual blessing. He's raised being predestined as legitimate heirs through Christ. Redemption through Jesus' blood and the forgiveness of sins. And several times in chapter 1, he talks about uh, that this actually gives God good pleasure to do this and that this will reach fulfilment when all things are brought to unity in heaven and earth under Christ. There's also Holy Spirit, there's prayer, revelation, power for us who believe, that same power which uh, raised Christ from the dead and that's just chapter 1. In chapter 2, which Steve referred to as one of the greatest chapters in scripture, we have this confronting picture of our utter helplessness of being dead in our transgressions. And then we have perhaps the apex of the gospel that by grace we have been saved through faith and this not from ourselves. It's the gift of God not by works. And in the second half of chapter 2, Paul goes to quite some lengths to explain that Gentiles, and, you know, um, let's just think through, Gentiles is basically anyone who wasn't a Jew, that Gentiles who were separate from Christ and excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants, without hope and without God, were far away. And then Paul goes on to say that, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then Paul spends another eight verses talking about how God actually does that. Making two groups, one setting aside in his flesh the law, creating in himself one new humanity out of two, and in one body reconciling both of them to God. For through him, that is Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And as I read through this, this theme of making peace, making two groups one or removing hostility, I count 12 different statements that Paul makes that are all actually saying the same thing. It's obviously a really, really important point that Paul wants to stress. As a result of this new thing that God has done, we are now fellow citizens with God's people and are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So Paul now begins this next section, which we refer to as chapter 3, with the words, for this reason, basically saying that what comes next is very strongly connected to all that he's previously said. Paul now continues weaving these important themes and the first of these is that Paul sees himself in the service of something really, really important. In verse 1, he frames this as being a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Verse 7, he uses the term servant. I became a servant of this gospel 
by the gift of God's grace. And then in verse 13, he asks the Ephesians not to be discouraged because of his suffering on their behalf. And the important service... (coughs) It's not COVID, trust me. (coughs) Excuse me. And the important service that Paul is engaged in here is the administration of God's grace that was given to him for the Gentiles, which he refers to as the mystery made known to him by revelation. And that's the title of the talk this morning, is because this important theme is what encompasses this section of scripture and is arguably at the heart of the good news of the gospel to the Gentiles. So what is this mystery that's been revealed? What is uh, Paul's insight into the mystery of Christ, as he calls it in verse 4? Well, I'm not even going to paraphrase. I'm just going to read verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. We can see here how well this integrates with all that, which Paul's already gone to great lengths to make really, really clear in chapter 2. I counted 12 ways, you might see, see more. But what I find interesting here in this section is that Paul now talks about this mystery and he does a similar thing. He repeats it in several ways. Verse 3, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation. Verse 4, my insight into the mystery of Christ. Verse 5, not made known to people in other generations as it's now been revealed by the Spirit. 6, again, this mystery. And then to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery and for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Both of those are from verse 9. And then verse 10, his intent was that now the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. And so on it goes on. So how many of those do we have here repeated? I, You know, seven, is it eight? So what is the mystery? I'll just read it again. Verse 6, this mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So why is Paul hammering this so much? Why is this so important to Paul personally that he says it again and again and again in different ways? I think the answer is in the fact um, of Paul's cultural heritage. There's a really significant context here that that evades us as Gentiles precisely because we're not steeped in the Jewish tradition of being God's chosen people. Remember in Acts 7 where Stephen, the first of the apostles to be martyred by being stoned to death by the Jewish leadership because he dared to recount Jewish history in a way that showed Jesus as the righteous one that the Jews were actually waiting for. Who was there? Looking on was a young Pharisee named Saul who gave approval to Stephen's death. And you'd remember in Acts 9 when Saul is on the road to Damascus and confronted by 
by Jesus and everything that he believed, everything that he'd learnt, everything that he had valued and been zealous about with his religion, well, that all got tipped upside down on its head. You see, the Jews knew that they were God's chosen people. They knew they were different from the surrounding nations who engaged in all kinds of horrid practices where life was cheap and despicable acts were done by humans to other humans. And Paul, who until then was still known as Saul, had been taught that living under the Jewish law, that zeal for that law, and dressing certain ways and eating certain foods and not eating other foods and fasting and sacrificing at the temple and so on, all these things somehow made you worthy and deserving of God's special favour. Now the Jews lived under the legacy of the fathers, Abram, Isaac and Jacob, and they knew very well the promises that God had made to Abram, which we've just read in uh, Genesis 12. What the Jews seem to have missed, though, in their understanding, uh, is in the second half of verse 3 of that which was read, which says that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Perhaps it is that they interpret that to mean that they should continue to be separate and different from those around these other nations and that in the future God would raise them even higher and would bless them even more and then somehow some of those blessings might sort of trickle down onto the Gentiles. But after Paul's conversion on the Damascus Road and after being filled with the Holy Spirit, it says in Acts 9 that immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. It seems that these scales um, not only fell off his physical eyes but that scales of some sort had fallen off his heart as well and that he could now see things that he hadn't seen before about the purposes of God and this was by special revelation. So in chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 quite in contrast to his cultural understanding Paul now sees that by grace you have been saved and he's talking to all of us here through faith and this not from yourselves it is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast it's a very very personal challenge to him as a Jew And in verses 15 and 16, it says that Christ has set aside in his flesh the law to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, that is, Jews and Gentiles together. And then verse 16, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. So here in chapter 3, Paul wants to say as clearly and as convincingly as possible that the mystery that's been made known to him by revelation, as it's now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets, is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel and sharers together in the promise. And further, here's another crucial theme of Paul's writings, and he's already alluded to it in verse 6, through the gospel the Gentiles together with Israel, members of one body... So there's a picture there, verses 9 and 10, Paul says, his intent was that now through the church, 
the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Similarly, at the end of uh, chapter 2, Paul has used the metaphor of a building, saying, with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And then further in um, chapter 4, yet to come, he talks more about the body, where in Christ the whole body, joined together and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul has much to teach us about God's purposes through the gathering of believers, both Jew and Gentile, living together, loving, edifying, and continuing to gather others into it to share in the redemption offered through Christ our Lord. So the church... This building with Christ as cornerstone or the body with Christ as the head is God's purpose. Indeed, according, as it says here, it's according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord that through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. It's verse 12. And you know what else? This is all in accordance with God's pleasure and will. We read that, chapter 1, verse 5. Now, just as I finish up, whilst it might be very interesting to ponder uh, Paul's cultural context as a Pharisee and a Jew, the real question, of course, is how does this apply to us here today? Paul had grown up and been educated as someone who lived with the status of being a member of God's chosen people. They dressed in certain ways, they spoke in certain ways, they did certain things, they avoided other things, they followed the law and they worked hard to remain separate from everyone else around them. And as a result, they looked down at those who were different. Paul, while he was still sore, gave approval to the stoning of Stephen because he that Stephen, like Jesus, dared to challenge this kind of elitism and dared to show that this was not God's purpose. The epiphany that Paul had had by God's grace is that this elitism, this zeal for separateness, is actually not God's purpose. God's purpose is and always was to destroy barriers, to make peace, to reconcile through the cross to build together and to make one dwelling, to make one body. And that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. So Paul had thought certain ways because, you know, chosen chosen people and all of that. Well, we too are chosen. It says in chapter 1, verse 4, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Do we dress in certain ways? Do we speak in certain ways or do certain things or avoid other things and other people? Do we follow certain rules and work hard to remain separate? 
I was going to wear my Ugg boots this morning. I actually had my Ugg boots on as I was typing this last bit. And I said to Kim, oh, I might just wear those to make a point. And she sort of talked me out of it. <laughs> but the point is, do we look down at those who are different? Other brothers and sisters who talk differently or, or sing differently? Don't dress like us? Are we really plugged into God's true purpose to reconcile, to build, to gather? And as it says in Genesis 12, that we should be, you know, the ones that all peoples and on earth will be blessed through. May the Holy Spirit prompt us to look deeply at ourselves, to challenge us and to see, like Paul had learnt to see, the um, purposes of God that he'd revealed to him. Going pretty good for time here. Remember when I started, I talked about the nature of a secret, that often a secret needs to be guarded, and if the secret gets out and becomes common knowledge, then often it does some damage along the way, and at the same time it loses its power as a secret. This mystery which has been revealed, which Paul is sharing with us here, it's actually quite the opposite, isn't it? This gospel of reconciliation, this mystery of God's eternal purpose, it needs to be told, it needs to be shared. And even as it is shared and as it is told more and more, the power of this mystery is not in any way diminished. In actual fact, really, it grows, isn't it? This manifold wisdom of God not just maintains its power, but it grows in power in in individuals, in families, and in communities. And may the Lord God be praised as we grow in our understanding of these sort of revelations. Let me pray. Lord Father, um, as Chris said, we're just so grateful to be on this side of the cross. Lord Father, thank you for the incredible blessing, the incredible privilege, if I'm allowed to say it that way, the privilege that it is to have you reveal yourself to us and to have you reveal your purposes through your word to us. Lord Father, let let us not treat that revelation, these mysteries as a secret that we guard. Lord Father, let us grow. Let us grow as a body, as a building, as a church. Let us grow together in love and let us understand that our purpose, because it's your purpose, Lord, is to be like a light shining on a hill as we continue to grow as individuals, families and as a community. I pray, dear Lord, that that we would be focused on those around us who are living in darkness, that we would be reaching out, that we would be sharing the power of your word, that we would be gathering in because that is your purpose as revealed to us, Lord. 
I pray that you would tear the scales of our of our eyes and of our hearts that we would see that your purpose is to is to reach out and father we ask all this in jesus name amen